Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Bring, bring it back. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi guys, I'm Jim. Uh, I'm the Leicester City representative for the EPL Roundtable. You can find me on Twitter at Jim988. Hello, my name is Gittos Llewellyn, Swansea City fan and contributor to the Jackcast podcast. Hi, I'm Jay Cream. I'm editor and founder of the EaglesBeat.com, a Palace fan site by fans for fans. I'm also host and presenter of a local community radio show, the Meridian Sports Show. Um, you can get us on uh, Twitter there as well, the uh, at Meridian SS. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Uh, one of the things I, I've noticed this weekend um, is that Manchester United look very, very scary. Um, no, gone are the, the days of just the plotting football that happened the last Van Gaal year and largely Mourinho's first year last season. Uh, the attack seems to be incisive, as Gitto, I'm sure, uh, witnessed and did not like. Um, but the defense still seems solid. Matic has really seemed to free up Paul Pogba. How well do we think that they could do this year? And are you also worried about this development? I'm a little bit worried for when they play Leicester, because... We're not particularly good at defending, so we're going to get torn to pieces. Um, but I, it's not. I guess it's difficult because I expected Manchester United to be really good and went on the record to say they were being really good when everyone else was saying that City were going to walk the league. So I'm quite happy in some ways that it's not happening to Leicester, but it's happening. But I do fear it when they come to us. Obviously, we're playing them next, and you know that's a kind of scary trip at the moment. Thinking about how we defended against Arsenal combine that with their attacking force where seemingly four goals is the minimum they expect now and um, it doesn't particularly bode well for us um, going into next Saturday It's obviously early in the season but I, you know when a team scores four goals two games in a row obviously it, it sends out the message and I, I do think now they're ready to, um, to to make a title challenge again for the first time since since Fergie was there. Um, I think I, I don't actually think they were particularly bad last season. I, I just you know they, they were they were difficult to beat. They just they, they were just wasteful in front of goal and they didn't quite click in the way that, that the teams above them did, which is why they did miss out on uh, on on the top four. But they they just those little problems. Um, look to have been ironed out. I think they've they've found a role now for Pogba, which is going to get the best out of him. I think Lukaku is a a good addition. Um, you know, I, I, Matic just frees up all of these uh, uh, more attacking midfielders to 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 be a bit more adventurous. It's just these little problems. I think Mourinho's now been able to to iron out, and and yeah, I, I think the rest of the league should be a little bit worried if I'm honest, because they they looked pretty strong yesterday. 
completely agree with you guys. They looked ominous in the first two games already. Four goals in each game. You can't ignore that at all. Um, I'm just looking forward to Palace having to play United and City in consecutive weekends away from home, uh, which will be fun. Uh, seven mm. days, I'm sure, uh, the way we're playing at the moment. Um, but United, yeah, I, I was very similar in in, in the uh, in pre-season, thinking that you know the the way that Mourinho's gone about his business, obviously, you know, the big fee for Lukaku. I think that was probably. A missing piece for um, for United with the absence of Ibrahimovic, you know, after his injury last season, which was a real shame. Um, Pogba, I think, is going to have a massive season. You know, with Matic in there behind him now, he's not going to have to be um, quite so, as defensive as he was last season. Um, I, I, yeah, all the talk has been about City and how they've strengthened their team, but I think Mourinho has done a superb job. And uh, like Guto just said, that United didn't have a particularly bad season last year at, at all. It was just Mourinho getting used to the the squad that he had, the personnel at his disposal, and just knowing who to get rid of, who to use, at, at, you know, in the right positions, and 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 do it. and he's doing what what he's done in in previous years with clubs, and it'd be interesting to see how it pans out towards the end of the season. But they're going to be right up there challenging for sure. Oh, that's a, that's a good shout. Are we thinking they are the far too early to announce title favourites? Um, should we see City first again? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, but. I, I, I think it's going to be a lot more interesting than last season was. I know there was you're talking about you know the teams, the top six sides in the country really reacted to, to Leicester winning a title, and last season was kind of a you know assuring for all those sides just about out between them. And you, you look how far ahead they finished uh, from the next side, and I think this is going to be similar. But you know all the top sides uh, or most of the top sides I would say have strengthened and spent an awful lot of money uh, in an effort to to you know to win that title, and I think. You know, two Manchester clubs look quite ominous at the moment, for sure. But uh, United have started fantastically well. All right. Um, another thing that happened this week was this proposal for the transfer window to end before the season starts. Uh, my my quick opinion on it is that it's, it would be problematic if the FA was the only league to do it. It feels like it would need to kind of be a UEFA-wide thing, I think, for it to, to work the way people would like it to be. But what do you guys think about it? Yeah, I'd I'd agree on that front. Um, I think it would have to be adopted by everyone in Europe because otherwise you're going to have clubs that are having to do their business early and then still potentially at risk of having you know other clubs kind of sniffing around their players as the the, the later deadlines approach. Um, in terms of getting it done before the season is is starting, I think it would be good because it'd force people to to, to get their business done early and then we we wouldn't have this kind of uncertainty. If you look at a lot of the bigger players around the Premier League at the moment, Coutinho, Virgil van Dijk, um, we've obviously had the the ongoing situation with Guilfi Sigurdsson at Swansea. Even this week, you know, Chris Wood put out a note on his his Twitter saying he wasn't in the right frame of mind to play for Leeds United this weekend of a potential move to Burnley and that's just not what fans want. Um, You know, being, you know, a Leeds United fan going to that game, obviously they won 2-0, so, that helped, but going into that game with Sunderland, a team that you'd expect to be potentially up there, and your main striker, the guy that got you 25 goals last season, um, and you know you'd hope to lead your promotion charge, says he's not in the right frame of mind because the Premier League team have, have come knocking at the door. Is you know is frustrating at the very very least for fans, and ultimately, um, you know they're the ones that miss out because they don't see these star players, and they're all unsettled, they're all injured seemingly with bad backs or slight niggles from the summer that will miraculously clear up, I'm sure, if they don't get their moves on September the 1st. Um, so it's a frustrating time. Um, it also stops clubs kind of planning ahead, I guess, because they have to have this contingency 
Um, and it just drives more and more astronomical transfer fees because as soon as a club come and buy your best player, say Coutinho, does leave Liverpool for Barcelona for 130 million, every player that Liverpool approach to try and replace him, they're going to have another zero added on to the end of their price because every selling club knows that Liverpool have got less than two weeks to do their business and are flush with cash from the Coutinho deal. So what was an initially, you know, a 30 or 40 million pound valuation goes up to 50 or 60 potentially just purely because they know that they've, you know, it's a seller's market. They've got the asset that Liverpool want and Liverpool have got the money to pay them because everybody knows the transfer fees are so public. So it's a frustrating time. And I think a lot of managers will probably be in support of it. Um, I don't really see it being an issue with getting it through Europe wide either, because I'm sure every European manager is probably in the same boat. Um, you know, Barcelona had the, the, the tables turned on them at the moment, but now they're feeling the pinch trying to replace Neymar. Um, even a club of their stature is struggling to, to get deals done. So if that happens to one of the biggest clubs in, in the world, um, I'm sure you know the, the relatively smaller clubs would probably agree that it's probably a good thing to get it done early doors as well. Is there anybody else you're surprised that so many Premier League clubs are said to be in favour of it? Because if I'm Liverpool and you know Barcelona chasing my star player, um, the last thing I want is for them to have a couple of weeks extra where they can purchase Coutinho, but but Liverpool can't buy a replacement. Um, mm. It seems to me it, it just puts Premier League clubs, the biggest Premier League clubs in particular, at such a disadvantage compared to other big European clubs. I, it's Surprises me. I, I read one article saying that only Watford are likely to vote against um, the, this decision. That that surprised me a little. I'll be honest. I think Palace as well. I've said that. Really? Yeah, yeah. Against it. I mean, yeah. It was interesting to you with Steve Parrish today that he talks about quite a few things, particularly the transfer market, um, and 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 kind of back on point about the transfer window. In in theory, it would be great if the transfer window finished a week before the season started because I think that kind of ends everything and, you know, players and teams and fans in particular can enjoy looking forward to their team because we're missing out on the likes of Coutinho playing at the moment, the first two games. Um, is it Barkley? Is Barkley injured or is he just out of favour? And, look, you know, Sigurdsson hasn't played either, you know, until obviously, you know, he might play tomorrow. Um it, because of the ridiculous situation with the transfers and you know the whole fact that a Neymar deal has happened and it's inflated everything, um, and it's something that Steve Parrish alluded to on the radio earlier on, in that you know, it's so hard to do a deal for clubs that are you know in the bottom half of the, or outside the top six or seven clubs in the Premier League because everything is so inflated, both wages and transfer fees have gone up, and it's so it's just really hard to do deals and. He um, he didn't actually explain his reasoning behind why they were why he's not in favour of ending uh, like changing the transfer window. He didn't actually go uh, as far as to say that. But um, another point which was interesting that he made was about how clubs are getting around the FFP rules because with so much money being spent at the moment across Europe, across the uh, you know across the country as well. Um, and, uh, and his view is that you know a club like Palace have to cut their cloth accordingly and to try and stay within the rules. You don't want to be fined or face a transfer embargo, which has obviously happened. Transfer embargoes happen to bigger clubs in Europe, but um, you know clubs like Palace and you know other clubs similar to us have to make sure they do things in the right way. Whereas everyone else seems to be shelling money left, right, and centre. You know, big wages, big transfer fees. You know, City have spent what 250 million on their on their backline. Um, it, it just seems that everything's just 
completely gone out of window and is that is that the, the the rules don't seem to matter to clubs anymore i'm not not quite sure if that's quite quite a truth but whether whether clubs are happy to just take a fee take a hit or take a you know, you know take a transfer embargo whichever but if they break the rules then, then you know seem to be happy to do that but it, it seems a, a really crazy situation at the moment. and and particularly the neymar deal was kind of inflated everything it's it's uh, I, I'm not a big fan of uh, of the transfer window at all. Um, I'm not sure how it should be changed. The January transfer window is crazy. Um, I think that's just media generated completely because it just everything goes up a notch from like the first of January for the whole month, and it just builds up to the end. And then you've got a countdown clock on the end of the you know, transfer deadline day. It's uh, I'm not a big fan at all. Yeah, it has definitely become more of a circus than. An actual big thing, especially mm. deadline day, as you mentioned, yeah. has become more of an event than an actual day on which a lot of deals are made. Usually people are largely done by that time, and we've had a few very boring deadline days uh, in the past few, but <laughs> nonetheless, still the dramatic music and everything like that. Um, <clears throat> we talked about uh, Coutinho there and his situation. We're just going to go through a few players and ask if you would rather have the fee or the player if it was your club, we'll start with Liverpool. Would you rather have 120 million or Coutinho? 120 million all day. I don't think he's a 120 million pound player. Even in this market, I just think it's. The, I just think it's. Yeah, I just think it's a knock on from Neymar though. Mm. Uh, obviously, mm. kind of getting a replacement in is um, is going to have that knock on effect as well, as I said. Um, but it's just it's that Neymar deal is an outlier that's going to throw every other major transfer off by yeah. you know potentially 20 30 40 million pounds because everyone will look at Neymar and use that as the denominator to say well if Neymar is 222 million euros then how much is x mm. and it's like well maybe Neymar isn't it 222 million pound player it's just that PSG wanted a statement marquee purchase his ludicrously high release clause was 222 million euros and so that's what they had to pay um those kind of fees are in there to kind of put off clubs and it's just so happens that PSG have said right we don't care about UEFA's FFP rules. We're just going to buy this player because we know we can get him for that money. Um, so that's just going to have a knock-on effect for everyone else now. We were looking at, you know, the world record for Pogba was 90 million uh, last year. And we're now looking at that being doubled, more than doubled for Neymar. And then every single player that goes in that chain after that is going to be more than that. If Osman Dembele goes from Dortmund, he's going to be more than Pogba was a year ago. It's insane. But yeah, I'd rather have the 120 million than Coutinho personally. Me too. Um, I, I think 120 million would be good money for Coutinho. I think, I, yeah, obviously, he's a brilliant player, but I don't, I don't think he is among the very, very best in the world in his position. Uh, so a lot of Liverpool fans would disagree with me there, but um, <clears throat> if you look at just the the, the other so creative midfielders, number tens in the Premier League, I don't think I don't. Uh, yeah, I, I think he falls just a tiny bit short of the very best in the league. And if I'm honest as well. I don't think Liverpool would miss him as much as some people think they do. I think they're okay in attack generally. <clears throat> Obviously, it's a blow losing a player like Coutinho, but they they have players who can help um, compensate compensate for his absence. It's it's at the back really that that they've got their problems, not not going forward as as they've proved really in their first two games. I agree with you guys. 120 million, no brainer, completely. But I completely see where Liverpool are coming from because at this stage of the season or start of the season, it's it's a really bad time to lose such a player. You know, if it was in the middle of the summer, then it might have been a different story, and they could have planned for uh, to bring somebody in. But it doesn't give them much time to bring somebody in. I mean, I, I guess if they'd have accepted the first offer, then 
you know, they're, they're effectively had a couple of weeks to, to bring somebody in, but we know, know how difficult um, that has been for clubs. I mean, Barcelona haven't replaced Neymar yet, um, and, and that's a club of that stature uh, after after that massive, ridiculous deal. Um, so I completely see where Liverpool are coming from, whether they're just pushing it to get more money, but then they're not leaving themselves much time to kind of replace a guy. But I, I kind of agree. I, I'd take the money for him, but it's a really difficult stage of the season, I think. Yeah, I, and I think this may have gone differently already if Lalana was going to be fit anytime soon, for mm. better or worse. I'm not yeah. sure Lalana can fill that role for them long term, but Klopp sure seems to think he could. Um, and I think that may may have changed things a little bit, but I uh, agree, I would rather have the money as well. Uh, Gita, we'll start with you on this next one because it is very uh, <laughs> fresh and appropriate for your club. $45 million or Gilfie Sigurdsson? Uh, personally, I, I have kept. Guilfi Sigurdsson, but we didn't really have an option. He he wanted to leave, and when a player wants to leave, you know you you have to sell. And I think we all knew from the end of last season that, that he had to go, really. But if you were to give me that simple choice, um, I take Guilfi Sigurdsson. Um, the performances early on the season have shown, you know what, how everything we do was built around him, and now that he's not there, there's just this literal gaping hole in the middle of the pitch, and you're like, who's going to fill it? Um, and we're looking at our players to, to try and replace them because, you know, it's what we've been saying, because other clubs know that we've got £45 million in the bank and we've only got, what, two weeks left to to, to plug that gap. Um, you know, they can just name their price. I think Chadley, we're, we're being linked with uh, NASA Chadley and that would cost more than £25 million. Um, <clears throat> Um, Klukas from from Hull is another one we're being closely linked with now, and that looks to be costing more than twenty million. If we want to go there, which, which seems crazy, that that seems absolutely ridiculous for me to pay twenty million for for Klukas because I think he's just your definition of an average player. I think he'll work hard, but you know he's fine, but nothing more than that. You know these are the prices that we're being quoted. So the forty five million actually doesn't buy you as much as. As, as you'd think it would really in a normal market. And um, we're going to be probably overspending on a replacement anyway, who, let's face it, in all likelihood won't be anywhere near as good as Gilfie Sigurdsson. So, yeah, given the choice, I would have kept him, but it, it wasn't an option, sadly. I, I think he was always going to go to Everton. It was just a question of how much we'd be able to, to get out to them. Anybody else want to kick in? Yeah, go on. I'll go. Sorry, yeah. Um, I, I, I completely agree with Guto there that the fact that a club like Swansea, very similar to Palace, in that Gilfie was the main man, and Guto's already said the fact that there's a massive hole there now, and I, I completely agree. I'd have kept him um, rather than the money. I'm not saying he's not worth the money at all, but I think he's more important to Swansea than the money is because. Like we just mentioned, the inflated transfer fees. I mean, who are you going to get anywhere near? You can bring in three players. Um, for for 45 million, but are they going to do anything like the job Gilfie's done for Swansea in the past few years? Um, likely it is, probably not, because uh, you're overpaying for people at the moment. It's very similar. I mean, it's a very similar position at, at Palace, really, in that you know you've got a star, a star player, or a couple of star players, and if somebody comes in and uh, makes a bid, you know, so close to the start of the season, or or even you know, a week after st- the season started and it's so difficult to try and find a replacement for that player that was so effective in the first place anyway it takes players time to you know kind of settle into clubs as well so it's it's really difficult yeah definitely Sigurdsson all day long all right Tottenham have been put in a awkward situation with Danny Rose's recent comments about uh winning titles and not signing players that you have to google right before they signed Davinson Sanchez who's only had one year at the highest level in the Netherlands um 
seems like things have been patched up there, but Chelsea allegedly were interested in offering fifty million for him. Uh, which would you rather have? I'd take the money all day with Danny Rose. I really would. Um, I do think he's he's obviously a very good defender, but if you can get the same for Danny Rose as you got for Carl Walker, who for me is a much better defender physically, suits that kind of modern fullback role because he's built like a tank um, yeah. compared to Rose, who's a lot slighter. And yeah, they're both pacey kind of attack-minded fullbacks, but 50 million for me, again, I just think, with the way that Spurs have faith in their, their youth system and are set up, you know, in that particular situation and their ability to potentially source some players, I appreciate it's difficult and it looks like this Sanchez deal is going to be an expensive one in the grand scheme of things, considering what he's done. But they've got this history of being able to a nurture youth talent or, or find a, a relatively underpaid, underrated player in the market. Then I'd, I'd completely trust my scouting team to find me someone that was at least as good either in the, the youth ranks already or, um, and develop them, or to to find someone for for less than fifty million, I'd say. I'd um, I, I'd I'd go along with that. I'd sell Danny Rose for fifty million. I think. Um, uh, I, I again, brilliant player. Nobody's denying that. But I, I, I it's another position where I think he is um, largely replaceable for for Spurs. Um, I think you know I'm, I'm a huge Ben Davis fan. I think he's ridiculously underappreciated. Um, how good he is, and I think he'd be able to do a very good job. Um, for Spurs, even if he's a slightly different player to to what to what Danny Rose is, and the the, the only danger for Spurs is that they start you know the other players start looking at Walker leaving, Rose leaving, and thinking, hmm, you know, should we be thinking about this too? That that's the only thing I'd be worried about from a Spurs point of view. But I I think what Spurs could do with fifty million for a player who is not absolutely key to everything they do, um, I, I I'd accept it straight away. Yeah, I agree with you guys. Take the money, for sure. Um, I, I think Danny Rose is slightly overrated. I, I don't know if that's controversial or not, but I, I find him as a defender um, it causes more problems, perhaps, than he should for a, for a full-back, you know, because of his the way he plays, his manner, makes stupid decisions. Uh, and again, the guy's already said he, he's in a position where it's replaceable rather than a position that creates something going forward, particularly. Um, and, and after what he said in the press you know, about Spurs... You know, his, his mind is obviously set to go elsewhere, and I think you find it difficult to keep a player at the club who's come out and, and been so, such outspoken in, in that manner. Um, interesting to know what the uh, the change room's like uh, when he comes. Well, he, he probably won't play Spurs again. I wouldn't have thought, but uh, um, yeah, I, I would certainly take the money. Yeah, I think it's interesting. He did apologize, and Pochettino has said it's in the rearview mirror. But uh, apologies do not unsay those words. <laughs> Um, exactly, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Any other examples that you guys want to throw out to the group? I've got one. Yep. Riyad Mahrez, forty million, or Ooh. keep him. I think because four- I think I, I think that is I think for once it's I'm I'm going to say it's I'm a bit biased obviously because I watch Riyad a lot, but mm. I think forty million for him is a fair price. I think it's a fair price for both. So you'll, you'll take it. I think we're going to have to because I think he wants to leave. Um, he's made that very, very clear. But I also feel like we're not overcharging anybody mm. at forty million for a player that won the PFA Player of the Year award two years ago yeah. and has clearly shown he can do it on a Champions League stage. I think when you look at some of the prices being quoted for your, you know, going back to Guto's um, replacements for Gilfie Sigurdsson and the amount of money that you're being quoted for, your likes of Sam Lucas or 
um, your Etienne Capoues. Riyad Mahrez is a cut above either of those players by a significant yeah, margin. Sure. He's, a, he's an absolute baller and capable of producing it on the highest possible stage. So yeah. actually, 40 million. I'm surprised we haven't had more suitors. I think it's purely his um, attitude or lack thereof um, mm. and his application that have, has stopped other clubs coming on for him. But I think I think he's a prime candidate for a deadline day 40 million pound bid from someone like a Liverpool, a Chelsea or even Roma. Obviously, they've been sniffing around for a long time. But either one of those English, English clubs, if, if, if they feel like they need reinforcements at the last minute and they know they can get him for 40 million, I think I think he's going to be really popular come the end of the month. I, I I'd say that the fact that you call that a fair price probably suggests that it, it's not worth taking. I think I think clubs will be willing to pay a little bit more for Mares. Um, I think in this market, clubs have a responsibility to just absolutely try and fleece. Um, oh, buy. absolutely. <laughs> and and so I'd say yeah, don't no fifty million for for someone like Mares, who I know he's he's had he's he's been in and out of form since. Um, um, you know, since Leicester won won the title, you know he's maybe not reached the the heights they did, particularly in the first half of that season. Um, but but still, you know he's capable. He's got the talent to to do it. And for a Champions League team, I think in the modern market, yeah, clubs they've got money to burn. They can they can fork out a little bit more on Mares. Uh, in my opinion, I think I think Leicester be missing a trick selling him for for forty million when they could get just that tiniest bit more. I've got one for you guys. I can't. I can't remember the exact fee that's been touted for. I think it's about between eighteen and twenty-one million. But Johnny Evans to Man City. Interesting. That that is such an intriguing thing, largely because City would be sending it. money to United. <laughs> Can I just? I'll just put in on this before everyone gets stuck in as well, because Leicester have a, a kind of a piece in this puzzle, I guess. So we had a bid turned down for Johnny Evans of ten million earlier on this transfer window uh, when we were looking at a centre-back replacement and ended up going for Harry Maguire who mm. I'll talk about later but looks a gem um, mm. and we ended up paying £17 million, I think for him but we went for Johnny Evans for £10 million, and that was deemed to be too much, our, our kind of breaking point so how mad is it that four or five weeks later a club are now looking at spending <laughs> upwards of double that on him purely because they can't acquire their first, second, third, fourth or fifth choice Centre back target. It's it's opportunism, opportunism at its absolute finest by West Brom, and I absolutely don't blame them because he's their captain. But I just think it's brilliant how, because Man City are interested, their asking price is probably doubled, if not more. And even then, they're still standing firm because it's the end of the transfer window. It's, it's interesting because we're we're in a similar dilemma with um, with Sacco from Liverpool. And I know that we've made a couple of bids for him. Liverpool want thirty million for him. We don't want to pay thirty million for him. The interest has cooled a little bit, and I think it's a it, it's a bit of a game uh, at the moment because the longer you leave it, they, Liverpool clearly want to get rid of Sacco. Um, nobody else has come in for him, so it, it, it's that waiting game, isn't it? To see, you know, you've got less than two weeks to go to a transfer. It, it's literally two weeks, isn't it? Um, you know, do. do do Palace call Liverpool's bluff and just leave it and, and, and throw in a bid, you know, in in the last few days of the transfer window and efforts try and get him because I have to say, you know, he was fantastic for us in in those eight games he played for us before I got injured, um, and it's a very similar scenario that um, you know he's never going to play for Liverpool again. That's 
there's no doubt about that at all because he's had a bust up with Klopp, even though he's their best centre back at the club. <laughs> it's absolutely ludicrous how uh, people can't get over, uh, you know, uh, crosswords or or, or 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 whatever's happened. So, um, so it'd be interesting to see how how that is. We we have called our interest. I know um, whether that's down to uh, the money or, or what. I'd be interested to see if we go back for him, but. Um, Seems another crazy situation. If you can get him at 30, I say take it, because we just spent reportedly somewhere between 28 and 32 on a 20-year-old center back. <laughs> but th- this is the thing. It's a, it's a value thing. How, how valuable is he to um, to us to bring him in? Um, 27-year-old center back who clearly isn't wanted by Liverpool, but made such an impact for us last season. It, it was close to being named our player of the year just for playing those eight games. Um, how, how crazy that might sound to opposition fans. Um, he was that good. He made that much of a difference. And, you know, we shelled out already 30 million for Benteke. You know, 30 million isn't a, an amount of money that Palace are comfortable or, or used to throwing at players. And, and while fans keep saying, yeah, we, we get a lot of money from the Premier League, um, you know, it's it's a salary as well. It, it's everything that goes with it. So uh, and I'm guessing Swansea would be in a, a very similar, uh, you know, scenario in, in the, you know, how many 30 million pound players, do you, you know, can you, can you financially bring to uh, bring to a club like um, you know like ours? So it, it's a difficult one. All the fans want him to come. Um, and, yeah, like you just mentioned, Kev. You know, you spent a lot more on a player. Which uh, what did he? He's only had a year at a top level. Yeah. Um, you know, which interests to see how he goes. But Sacco's proven. You know, he's proven at the very top level. And I find it astounding that Liverpool can't find a place for him because he's clearly their best defender. Uh, you know, a position that they struggle with. They've struggled with that position Horrible. for years. Yeah. Exactly. It's it, it's uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. But the, the commanding a thirty million pound fee uh, at the moment is just pushing. Uh, I think will push us, uh, you know, a little bit too far. But we'll see. All right. Well, we are going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back with specific questions for each of our guests regarding the clubs. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, and we are back. Uh, Jim, we'll lead in with you. Leicester arguably should have gotten more out of match week one against Arsenal. Um, Jamie Vardy was absolutely flying. Morris, who we've already discussed, was having a good game as well. Uh, and Maguire, who you already discussed and said you will <laughs> discuss again later, um, was vital in that one as well. But you don't get the three points. You do get them this week. Where do where do you think you're going to land this year? Is is the truth kind of in between there, or or 
it's just hard to tell because as we were saying with Mars, how his form kind of came in and out. So did Leicester's last year, having won the title the year before. I think it's just very hard for neutrals to pin down how good or what we can expect from Leicester. I think it's quite difficult for us as fans to pin down what we expect as well. Like I think, yeah, we were unlucky um, against Arsenal. And I think if you look at their result against Stoke this weekend and just how few kind of clear-cut chances, yeah, they had one ruled out for offside, which was marginal, but they weren't creating the kind of amount of chances against a Stoke team who aren't a million miles away from Leicester um, in the table and probably won't be that far away from us in the table this year. Um, so you can kind of feel unlucky that that they created enough um, to, to beat us four three, and you're you're always disappointed whenever you score three times and you don't get anything from the game. Um, that said, like I said, we were particularly good against Brighton. We didn't have to be that good. I think that's the key to take out of that. That Brighton are clearly struggling. I think to adapt to the Premier League. That doesn't mean that I think they'll be relegated this year. I think there's plenty of time, but I would be concerned if I was a Brighton fan, at how little they created. I know they've got um, players coming in and I know their new record signing was, wasn't was able to, to play against us. So that may change things in the final third for them. But um, we, we're, we're in that weird group of teams where you expect not to be battling against relegation despite what we had last year. I think with no Champions League this year and the squad that we've got, we should be relatively kind of... I don't think we'd be out of the out of our realms in saying we, we don't want to be battling against relegation or anything close to it. But we're also not going to challenge, you know, the Everton's that have spent 150 million this year to, to to even go close to a top six place. We're probably just going to end up eighth or ninth or maybe tenth, something like that, which would be seen as an improvement because it's obviously building on last year. And I think we'll take the domestic cups a bit more seriously this time around because of a lack of Champions League. So you've got those kind of midweek spots where you can afford to be more aggressive um, in the League Cup and the FA Cup when that comes around in the new year. So I think we're just going to end up mid-table in a cup run. It's, it's It sounds cliched because I think I feel like that's what every team would want. And I feel like Palace and, and Swansea potentially are saying the same thing. Um, you know, probably too good to be involved in a relegation battle. Look at mid-table, look at the Cups as an option, as a kind of potential source of enjoyment for the fans as well as a relatively safe mid-table finish, but ultimately that's probably the ceiling of what any of us are going to do because, you know, yeah, we won the league two years ago, but that is probably never going to happen again in any of our lifetimes. And it was such a freak season that it's just going to kind of return to norm, if you like. All these teams around you are spending tens of millions just like you are. So you'd probably think there's going to be some levelling out there and we're probably going to finish 10th, I'd say. Fair enough. Uh, On to you now, Gitto. This uh, has not been the window you would have liked, uh, especially the Sigurdsson deal being done so late. Um, do you think you're going to reinvest? And what do you think about the names of like Joellen and Wilfred Boney being linked to the club? Because from an external perspective, that kind of seems like looking backwards to look forwards. Uh, you're right in saying it's not been what we'd hoped for. Um, you know, we 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 may have expected Gilfie Sigurdsson to leave, but but the way it's gone about it, it's just distracted everybody and and, and really just stopped us from doing any other kind of business. Um, and we're now in the situation where uh, our best player has just left us. We're really really struggling without him to create anything, um, and uh, we've only got two weeks to to bring people in and the names that we've been linked with. I'll be honest that they're pretty unimaginative and um, they're likely to cost a lot of money. Um, I mean, Joe Allen is, is one 
you know, it, the other thing is a lot of the names we've been linked with, they're not necessarily positions that we really need. Joe Allen is a brilliant player um, who I absolutely love, but we don't really need that deeper midfielder at the moment. And if we're looking for a number 10, I think there's better out there than Joe Allen, even though he has been playing that position for Stoke um, and and has had reasonable success there. Um, same thing goes with Wilfred Boney. I mean, uh, well, with, differently with Boney, he's been off form for two years. So there is a big risk if you're going to spend, um, you know, a couple of million on, on him, uh, expecting him to score goals. He's going to need quite a lot of help to get back the player he was. No guarantees they would. Uh, and again, it's in a position where actually we're, we're quite well stocked. Fernando Llorente is going to come back from injury, and I, I'm, I'm hoping that we wouldn't be wanting to to sell him uh, this late in the window, having already lost Gilfie. Uh, Tammy Abram has, has shown some really good good flashes since uh, since joining. It's just that he's not received any kind of uh, uh, service um, so far. Um, the, the big question is that number ten uh, position and. Yeah, the names that we've been linked with aren't particularly inspiring at the moment. Talking about Nasser Chadley for upwards of 25 million. Um, Sam Klukas from Hull, again, more than 20 million being linked with. So a huge chunk of the Gilfie Sigurdsson money is going to be spent on a vastly inferior player to replace him in his position. Um, and and it's, it's a move that the club have to get right, really, because we've had in our first two games of the season a one shot on target. Um, and, and we haven't actually looked like scoring at any point in, in our first two games. Defensively, we've actually been okay. I know we lost 4-0 to United, but uh, that did come when we when we really chucked everybody forward and um, uh, and left gaps at the back. Up until that point, we, we would you know con- we would contain them pretty well. So no real concerns about defensive. Uh, de- well, no real concerns defensively at the moment. All the concerns are in attack, where we look completely toughless, completely unimaginative and, and we're just waiting for that player to come in who's going to change everything but there is going to be a lot of pressure on that player's shoulders because not that you know I want to overstate it or anything like that but they need to be the new Gilfie Sigurdsson and that's going to be difficult. Um, you mentioned how un- unimaginative a lot of these options you're looking at are. Do you think that's the manager not giving the right list of names to the scouting team is the scouting team not coming up with enough people on their own or is ownership not as willing to endorse purchases of players that are less well known i just don't know what our scouting department does if i'm honest we used to be so good in this department back when we were in the lower leagues you know when we we're in league one getting premier league quality players on the cheap um to, to join us um you know players nobody had ever heard of but turned out to be absolute stars um, and the same thing was in the championship and, of course, when we first joined the Premier League. But for the last few years, um, the players we've been bringing in, they, they've they've been uh, really just underwhelming. We've overpaid on a lot of them um, and they haven't been as good as the players that have been leaving the club. Um, and and the, all the players that we've been linked with at the moment, apart from Klukas, are ones that we've been linked with in the past or who have played for the club in the past. So it's you just you have to look at the scouting system there and ask you know what are you being paid to do? Why are there no new names coming up? Do you actually keep an eye on on other European leagues and and see what's what's going on there? Because there's just there's just no imagination at all, no no real outside the box thinking going on, and and it's it's going to cost us a lot of money, and it's um and and it's going to leave us with. 
probably players who, um, well, we, we could have done better than, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, Jay, Crystal Palace also not had the best start to the season, which has caused a lot of this Frank de Boer and how it started at uh, inter-narrative stuff. I feel like that's a pretty uninventive way to go with this. So I'm curious if you have seen any positives in the shift in tactics and formation if there are things that you can see where you can see the direction it's going but maybe it's just not there yet whether it be due to personnel or comfort with the system i think it's a real mix actually frank de Boer's come in he said all the right things it's an exciting appointment but a little bit daunting in the fact that it's far removed from what we normally go for as a, as a club so there is a big change in the style um, the formation is, is is the main thing that's been talked about a lot in the media and by fans um opening day was a disaster, a complete disaster. I mean, it's never easy to play a newly promoted side off the back of a promotion, particularly through the playoffs. That you know, the team is on a high. They played um, six new signings, and um, they they really gave it to us big time. I mean, we, to be fair, David Wagner, in, you know, even though they won the game, he did actually say that you know the score didn't wasn't a true reflection on the game. You know, we had uh, a fair few chances, we just couldn't put ball in the net. But regardless, their bit is three 0 fair and square. Um, and that was perhaps a wake-up call to the fact that you know it's it, it's a harsh reality in the Premier League, and it was a very harsh debut for Frank de Boer. But in pre-season, you know, he's implemented a style of football which he's 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 done it throughout the club. You know, from from the youngest academy side all the way through to the first team, and that's what he did. Oh, that's well, I mean, that's quite common with European clubs. See, a lot of European clubs do that. Ajax for one. Um, you know, did it when he was uh, working in the academy, and obviously he ended up managing the first team, having all the success there. You mentioned the debacle at Inter, which um, you know that is probably the downside in in appointing the boy and thinking, you know, that was after the Ajax uh, job that he you know did very successfully, and you do question how strong the the Dutch league is. But Ajax are a massive massive side, you know. Um, Won an awful lot of things, and uh, and he did very, you know, exceptionally well with them to win. I think it's four titles in a row. Um, yeah, in a row. Yeah, um, I think when you read into the Inter situation, his hands were fairly tied. I think he joined the club a couple of weeks before the season started. They had injuries. They had a takeover as well. Lasted ninety days. Hadn't won a game for twelve games or something like that, or, or just a bit less. Um, and, uh, and and parted ways. So yeah, in the back of your mind, it kind of sits there. But you know, since the balls come in, he yeah, he had a whole preseason. He was he was you know at the club when the players came back for preseason training. So he's had a lot of time with them. He's implemented the the system throughout the club, which is uh, uh, you know he's he, changing things. And uh, I think that will take a little bit of time. Um, I know the Premier League doesn't give you a lot of time because it's you know harsh reality and. Uh, it's a tough division. No game is easy. It's you know it's all those old cliches, but it's true. You know, a lot of fans expected us to you know to see off Huddersfield quite easy in that first game. And you know, having seen Palace and I've been a Palace fan for years, and having been a fan of football for years, you know, you do get old results on opening days. You, you see, you've seen that so often. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's old results that we've taken taken away the result from Huddersfield, but they went and beat Newcastle today, who, who came up with them. You know, I think it'll take time for teams to work out Huddersfield. It happened to, with Blackpool when they came up. Happened to Hull. Uh, before that, you know, I think last season they were top four after a few games. Um, you know, I firmly expect them to be struggling towards the end of the season um, as things go because yeah, different things happen throughout the season. But you know, when it comes to Palace, I think the the impressive thing was the reaction by the players 
yesterday at Liverpool. I think we frustrated Liverpool for, for large parts of the game. I think the formation perhaps lended itself a bit more to, to an away performance um, rather than having the 3-4-3 three, uh, three, four, four, three, uh, formation. It, it ended up being kind of a... Uh, you know, a flat back five in a way, you know, more often than not. But obviously, you know, the wing backs bombing forward um, whenever needed to, to go for. But we did frustrate Liverpool. A lot of people expected us to get absolutely hammered at Liverpool yesterday, uh, and it didn't happen. And uh, you know, if it wasn't for Benteke missing a, a, a great chance he had before Liverpool scored, um, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, fantastic work by, by Ruben Loftus Cheek. I mean, he's been. Um, fantastic in both of those games, but he he worked a, a really good uh, chance for Benteke, uh, and he and he blazed it over from six yards out. And if that chance had gone in, um, it may have been slightly different. But take nothing away from you know the performance. We other than for, for a mistake and which Liverpool scored from, um, it was a really close game. And uh, yep, Liverpool had chances, but yeah, Hennessy was in, in inspired form and you know I've been openly critical of Hennessy in recent seasons but he was absolutely fantastic yesterday my man of the match for sure so a lot of positive signs from the game yesterday um, it will take time for this this system to be implemented but my only problem is that I, I find it difficult how professional footballers that get paid so much money and been playing the game for so long find it so difficult to change change the system um Maybe, maybe that's me not understanding, you know, quite what goes on. But and I know Palace have had a, a had a formation for the last three or four years in, in the way that they played, and the personnel of Palace have been, you know, the 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 main parts of the first team are, are still remain, you know, have done for for a number of seasons now. So maybe that's a problem. But um, but yeah, disappointing loss on the opening day, um, but very promising yesterday, and uh, it, it's it's. I, I'm excited about the season, even if it hasn't started so well, because I, I think uh, Frank de Boer's a breath of fresh air. Obviously, you know, fingers crossed that the the gamble, as it as it perhaps could be could be called, is you know will work for us. But um, I think it's I think it's a bold move to try and change things from what we're particularly used to. And um, I think one of the big things is that he's trying to bring some youth through, and that's not happened at Palace for an awful long time. Wilfred Zaha's probably the last youth player that really uh, has really made it into first team for us but pre-season we saw a lot of youth team opportunities uh, youth academy players coming through into uh, you know to play in pre-season a uh, youngster called uh, Jason Lekilo, um he played against Schalke in our final pre-season game and he was given all the set pieces to take in that game uh, which is uh, which is a bold move uh, but Frank De Boer has been out with uh, with the academy teams, managing the academy teams in their, some of their friendlies as well, uh, which again is a breath of fresh air because I hadn't seen any manager do that before. Uh, first team manager go and do that. So, um, so yeah, I, while it's while it's you know a bit of hesitancy after the first couple of losses, um, you know, kind of fingers crossed that it will work out. But it's 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 it's, it's going to be interesting to see how how it how it pans out. Yeah, just a uh, note on. Um... When you were saying why why it would take so long to change tactics, I I, I often yeah. like to think of it as learning a new language, where it's not difficult yeah. to learn a lot of the words in their own separate context. The issue is fluency and starting to think in that system yes. instead of That's just knowing point. how you should fit into the system. I, I think there's a difference there between knowledge and understanding and making sure that it's your initial reaction. Because even if you're a split second late, like, oh, what am I meant to do here? I used to do this. You take that step, and now somebody's mm -hmm. cut back on your outside foot. Now you're exposed. Uh, anyway, just a... Uh, how I no, no, that's, that. no that's, that's a fair point. I mean, watching a Huddersfield game, it was clear that we struggled to play that formation at home, you know, with three at about three centre-backs and the two uh, wing-backs bombing forward. And watching that game, it was clear that it was going to be a better formation for us to, 
to to use away from home. And so it proved against Liverpool. It's just knowing how to use it in an, in an offensive um, yeah, formation. Like you have to be at home. You, you know, it's, you, the onus is on the home team to kind of take the game to, to the away team because the away team generally come and uh, you know try and. Uh, um, you know, kind of close down, defend a bit more, and um, and hit you on a break, as as what Huddersfield done well very early on in that game, as it turned out. But um, our home form's been terrible the last couple of years, anyway, so that, that's no surprise. But you know, it's going to be interesting. Um, I'm I'm hoping he's given enough time to um, to see how it works, but obviously, you know, time doesn't really happen in the Premier League or in football at all, does it? So uh, we'll have to see. Yeah, uh, well, I'd just like to make it known that I am not hiding here, so if anybody has any questions for me that hopefully don't involve the words Wembley, uh, <laughs> that would be delightful. How did Spurs get on, Kev, today? You know, <laughs> not great result-wise, but, but one of the reasons why I'm so frustrated with this whole Wembley narrative, well, first of all, Poch beautifully dismantled it at the weekend, uh, where he talked about growing up in Argentina, he always dreamed of playing at Wembley, and if the players can't sort figure of, out how to play yeah. there, it is not on excellent. Wembley. It's on the players. Um, And I think that showed. I think there are far too many parallels, unfortunately, between this loss to Chelsea at Wembley and our last loss to Chelsea at Wembley, where we dominated play. We had the majority of the shots. We had the majority of the chances. We had the majority of the corners. But it just doesn't come to anything. And and I saw some uh, Spurs fans saying that we were the better team today. And it really got me thinking on... What makes a team better? What, what do people mean when they mean better? Because Chelsea did not have four of their regular starters available. They, their best uh, ability is to defend. And so then they did that. So, uh, I mean, yes, Tottenham looked better, I suppose. And that we were constantly in attack. We were constantly threatening. We were getting in between the lines um, well. But they did what they were trying to do defend and keep us from scoring better than we did what we were supposed to do which was to score um so at a certain point and i tweeted this out out right after the match at a certain point these moral victories have to become actual victories we've had this a lot under posh where we know that we've played well but at a certain point that that wears too thin and i think i think we're starting to get there wembley is not even a factor for me it is, it is a continuation of our struggle, specifically against Chelsea, uh, especially in Cups. Um, but it, was good, is, it was a good game, though. It was. It was a very good match. And, and I think the, the frustration from a lot of Spurs fans is based on history more than it was this specific mm. match. Um, but I also think trying to high road against Chelsea and saying, oh, well, we were actually playing football. They couldn't actually play football. They had four youth players on their bench today. Mm. They, they never wanted to come out. They started six defenders. Like, I, I don't know why people are surprised that the stats leaned in our way when they had no intention of coming out and playing football. But if they had come out to play, we probably would have beaten them like we did in the 2-0 last year in the Premier League. So I, I think Conte, despite me disagreeing with his weird reaction to the Costa stuff on Friday, um, I, I've always respected him as a manager. I think what he did with Italy was fantastic at the last Euros. Obviously, his time at Juventus was fruitful, and in one year, he won a Premier League title. I, I think he addressed this game the way he wanted to, and I think that we somewhat naively played into that. Now, if Kane's curled shot hits the back of the net instead of the post, then it's a whole different game, right? You, you, if you score that first goal, it changes the whole complexion, but we didn't. 
Um, and playing in the world of what-ifs can, be, can become a very dangerous proposition uh, in the long run. But I'm still confident for the season. Losing today doesn't mean we're going to, uh, you know, get relegated or even miss top four. Um, we've waited late in the window to sign players, which we know Potch doesn't like, but we know Levy does like. There's some internal issues there that we probably need to address in the long term. Um, but all in all, not, not too frustrated. Obviously, the way it happened was gut-wrenching, but, you know, you, you learn from it, you pick up, you move on. I'm, I'm not even interested in the Wembley stuff. If we, if we struggle in our next few ones at Wembley, maybe bring that up, but we've basically exclusively played difficult teams at Wembley because we played there in the Champions League and then in the semifinal of the FA Cup last year. So this, is, this narrative has always fallen flat for me. Um, but anyway... <laughs> do, you, do you think, Kev? Do you think the game today was was different because of Chelsea's loss last week that they had to come out and get a result no matter what today? I, I know you said they set up defensively, but yeah. do you think that perhaps hindered the way you would would have played the game normally if if Chelsea had won the game last weekend? Then do you think things might have been a bit different? Well, yeah, uh, things would have been very different. First of all, uh, if that game had been going well for Chelsea, they would have had Gary Cahill and Cesc Fabregas available. Yeah, um, that's true. Which obviously changes a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, but, I, I mean, you never want to play a big team after a big loss. You're, you always fear that kind of, uh, <laughs> you clip them in the tail and you get the teeth next kind of situation. Um, but, you know, the the mentality part, sure. I mean, Chelsea obviously... Um, did not want to lose two weeks in a row, especially after the way they lost to Burnley, which was even before Cahill got sent off. I think Burnley were the better team in that one. Um, so, yeah, it was unfortunate. Uh, again, once you start opening that what-if box, it can go a lot of places. Um, but, but, but I will say, like I said before, if they had come out to attack openly, I think we win that match. Because our, our biggest issue is breaking down teams that want to defend. And unfortunately, there's been an increase in the amount of teams that are willing to do that. Uh, and, and that's Pochettino's job. And if he is the manager of quality that we all think he is, being nominated for Coach of the Year this week, um, then he needs to sort that out. Uh, the flexibility we saw today, we played three different formations in the last 15 minutes. I, I liked that in that um, in previous years, he would have done nothing, so we never would have gotten the equalizer. So we would have just lost 2-0 because they probably would have scored again. But then opening up after the equalizer to score against them is what then allowed them to rescore against us. Um, but, uh, I, I, again, I, I trust Poch. I'm not too worried about that. But, uh, yeah, if Chelsea had come out to attack us from the off, I think we win this match. But they never wanted to, and that was wise on their part. Just just quickly, you mentioned the Cahill sending off last week in mm. the Chelsea Burnley game. Um, I don't know what y- you guys think, but that it, I mean that was a red card. Well, it's on borderline red card, wasn't it? But since since last weekend, there's probably been four or five challenges in Premier League which have been worse than that. I mean, Mark Noble just today in the West Ham game was well, was worse than Cahill's. It, it just seems bizarre that no other players have been penalised for something which you know, particularly at the start of the season when referees tend to. You know, kind of, uh, kind of overdo the rules a little bit, as as we saw at the start of last season with some of the shirt pulling. But um, you know, Cahill probably got the rough end of the deal last weekend. When you look at some of the challenges this weekend, you know, like I mentioned, Noble, a couple of others I saw as well, very very similar. I think Huddersfield had one today um, as well. Tommy Smith, I think it was um, against Newcastle. It just seemed to be odd to me that uh, you know, one player has been clamped down on, but um, but not many others. I think it's just it's all it's all to do with consistency, isn't it? You just want to see 
you know, the similar challenges being punished in a similar way. I, I too thought the KL one was a red card, but yeah, there have been one or two challenges where I, I, I don't think there's been. I can't remember the noble one off the top of my head, but I can't remember any ones which I've gone. They're blatant red, and the referee has missed them. But that, yeah, it's when you see, you know, players lunging in. Um, in, in a in a dangerous way like that, and you're thinking none of these are being punished with a red card. Yeah, you. It is just a matter of consistency and 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 making sure that all players are, are punished equally. It's just how refs interpret the tackles as well, isn't it? It's a split second decision, and it could be you know through a crowd of players, or one ref can look at a, a decision, and another ref might have only booked Cahill for that challenge against Burnley. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it, I think it, I don't think it was a particularly you know. I don't think it was a horror challenge, but I, by the same token, I wasn't complain. I wouldn't have been complaining if he'd have been sent off. Um, if it was, you know, on a from a Leicester point of view, you look at that tackle and you say, "Yeah, okay, that's stupid." You give the opportunity, you give the ref the opportunity to send you off. Yeah, exactly. But another ref, you know, you could put that in front of ten refs, just like you could put it in front of ten fans. And just because they're prof- uh, paid professional refs doesn't mean that they'll interpret that challenge the same way. Um, the noble one, I think, is just a, a miss on the rest part. I don't know how that isn't. These challenges where both players go into 50-50s, but one goes in a lot higher than the other and ends up smashing into someone's shins just seem to kind of be, I don't know, just overlooked, I guess, because it's not yeah. one player smashing into another that's got his foot planted. But they're pretty dangerous and you know, there has got to be some kind of accountability there. I think rest have got to be a bit more on the lookout for that. But as we've said before numerous times, you know, I've said it on the pod before, you know, the game moves so quickly now and it is, I wouldn't fancy being a ref. It's such a difficult job um, and you have to be so right all of the time. Um, and yeah, you know, like I say, that, that panel of 10 refs theoretically could be showing that Cahill tackle 50-50, maybe split, maybe 60-40, but therein lies the problem that there is no hard and fast rules and football is a game of interpretations. You know, you look at a lot of other sports where video referees have been applied and they don't have the interpretation elements or as many as football. It's just, you know, it's black or white, the ball's over the line or not, or the ball's going to do this or do that or whatever it is. And I think, you know, even when you do apply video technology, it's never perfect. Um, so it's just, it just creates more talking points, doesn't it? I, I do appreciate that if you're a Chelsea fan looking at that game today without your best central defender, and then you look at the, the, the challenges that are going in and saying, well, he's not been sent off for that, but, yeah, it's, it's kind of what keeps us coming back, isn't it? And doing things like this and talking about the games because it creates talking points. And I think, you know, you don't want to sterilise the game so much that you take that out. Yeah, all right. Well, we are uh, quickly running out of time, but we will still do player watch. Instead of all your new signings, we'll just narrow it down to who you think your best new signing has been uh, and how they've played at the start of the season. Uh, mine, without a shadow of a doubt, is Harry Maguire. Based on the first two games, I know we've conceded four at Arsenal. Um, a lot of those, you know, are kind of a couple of were, were quite unlucky, I think, with little deflections and things like that. But he just looks a rock. It's it will be interesting to see how he copes against better teams. Um, obviously, we've only played Arsenal and Brighton so far, so we've very much played both ends of the spectrum now. But um, he looks very assured, very composed, um, very dominant in the air, which is which is really important when you're replacing someone like Robert Huth in the back line. And I think in that, you know, for all the transfer fees we've talked about in the modern market, 17, 18 million pounds uh, from Hall City is is going to turn out to be a, a bargain for a player of his ability and his age. 
uh, Tammy Abraham's the only new signing that's played both of Swansea's games so far this season. Um, he's shown some promising flashes, some really nice touches, and uh, he's working hard, but still hasn't. Uh, well, he, he's had one or two chances against Southampton, but but it's tough to judge him so far because he just hasn't been receiving a, a constant um, uh, you know supply of chances. Um, so he's looked a little bit frustrated at times when he's 30 yards ahead of, of the next um, closest player to him. But um, uh, so far, the signs are promising. And hopefully, you know, we can, we can start putting in some uh, some better balls into him and he can start scoring. Uh, Rocky Mesa then started um, yesterday against Manchester United uh, and um, looked very short on the ball, um, kind of like the new Leon Britton that we've been looking for for years. So hopefully he can continue that and, and replicate the, the brilliant form of um, they showed in Las Palmas. Uh, well, all three of our new signings have played. Jaro uh, Riederwald, the Dutch defender from Ajax, played the first game at Huddersfield. Didn't play yesterday because of a knock. Um, he struggled a little bit in that first game, unfortunately. Um, but the other two are loan signings. Uh, Timothy Fosu-Mensa, who United fans were disappointed to, to, to see him go out on loan, actually, uh, from what I've spoken to uh, some of them. Um, and he's been impressive in both games, actually. But he's been outshone by Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who has had... He had a really good pre-season, showed an awful lot about what he's about and, and how capable he is. Um, and in the two games so far, um, even though the loss on the opening day, he was very good. Um, but he was exceptional yesterday at, uh, at Anfield. Um, I mentioned he created a chance for um, Benteke. was uh, was very frustrated, openly frustrated about the miss. Um, but he's strong, very good on the ball. Uh, got a good eye for a pass and he 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 did a superb pass in the Schalke friendly, our last friendly at Celeste, um, where he just picked up the ball, won the tackle, um, turned and with the outside of his foot hit it out wide to Townsend right on the touchline. It was a superb bit of vision. So um, we haven't had any luck with uh, loan signs from Chelsea um, with uh, Patrick Bamford, the first one we had, and then Lloyd Remy. So fingers crossed. Um, third time lucky for us uh, with loan signs from Chelsea and uh, he's looking um, yeah he's looking the business so hopefully that continue throughout the season yeah and uh, for Tottenham we've only half signed one player who thus far is zero out of one for actual contract signed thus far so uh, <laughs> nothing, nothing to report uh, from the Tottenham side although we do think Devinson will finish signing uh, and being fully announced uh, tomorrow, and then maybe one or two more to happen already this week. Because, you know, there's only 10 days left, so that's pretty much the remainder of the window. All right, uh, thank you guys so much for joining us. If you'd like to tell people where they could find you or any projects you're working on, now would be a good time. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, I've been Jim. You can find me on Twitter at JimKnight88. Uh, my day job is uh, head of content marketing for a company called Perform, so do a lot of betting-related content on Goal.com and Sockaway. So if betting's your thing, then head over to those and, and check that out as well. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. And if you want to hear uh, me talk about the Swans even more, um, they, then you can go to the podcast's Twitter uh, page, which is at the JackCast, uh, and we should have a new pod going up uh, over the next few days. Yeah, great to be back on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me again, Kev. Um, yeah, I'm Jay. I'm editor of the Eagles Beak, a Palace fan site. Uh, I'm normally on the Twitter account there, so it's at the Eagles Beak. And uh, we're all about Palace, but uh, we started pushing out into uh, other parts of football. So uh, head on over, check the website, have a good read.
Yeah, and I am your host, Kevin DeVries, at Kevroff on Twitter. Uh, you can listen to our fantasy show that's on this very channel called the FPL Roundtable. Also do fantasy content over at Goal.com and for VIP Bet, and now for Fantrax Radio here in the States. Uh, so be sure to check those out if you're in those places and are interested in those things. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.